Live life at your pace. Click the banner or go to visitwilliamsburg.com to discover how. Because here in Williamsburg, life moves at one pace. Yours. Here, our waters are splashing and rejuvenating. Our history is for seeing and experiencing. Our theme parks are for riding and sometimes flying. And our great outdoors are yours for exploring and restoring. It's all waiting for you in Williamsburg. Book your trip today and live life at your pace. Meet Allison, teammate at Truist Bank. Hi. She was born to care and she always had your back. You could say that. Like that time back in the mid-80s when she spotted Stacy Kaminsky with her new perm and a car was coming, about to hit a puddle. So Allison jumps in front of the splash just in time to protect Stacy's fresh curls. Look, I had to do it. A wet perm just doesn't work. Today, Allison's a teammate at Truist, the bank that starts with care. When you start with care, you get a different kind of bank. Learn more at truist.com slash care. Truist Bank, member FDIC. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. Coast to coast, border to border, and around the world, it's time for The Bill Alexander Show. The Bill Alexander Show is a guest-driven program where the topics are diverse and entertaining. Laugh and learn while you listen to one of the best hours of online radio. Now, here's your host, Bill Alexander. Hi, everyone. Yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill, and welcome to the Bill Alexander Show. So glad you're able to join us today. And with everything going on in the news, from the Roe v. Wade being overturned last week to the January 6th hearings to the Supreme Court ruling about... Uh, prayer and public school on a football field and everything going on i thought it would be great to bring back an old friend of the program wait i shouldn't say old i should say friend of the program <laughs> who hasn't been on in a while so i don't insult him on the other end of the screen is john daly john how are you doing today hey bill doing great and i am old but that's okay it's great <laughs> to be back with you i'm so glad to have you here so with everything going on in the world where do we begin? I got to tell you, I know, you know, when you when you had kind of said to me, what do you want to talk about? And you, you kind of jokingly put in there, is this the end of civilization? And so it, it, and it's funny that you you sent that to me because I do have a, a number of people who I commiserate with a lot. And a lot of them say, oh, you're a doomsayer. You're you seeing the end of civilization. <laughs> so I thought it was kind of funny. Um, and I try to tell people, I don't think I, I see the end of it. And I do, there are some scary times, I think. And I think we have, I think we have years more of scary times. Um, and, um, you know, with everything going on, especially Ukraine on top of everything else, you, oh, know, yeah. you know, from, you know, my biggest fear is, you know, people, you know, like Putin, Kim Jong-un, who have access to nuclear weapons, and they don't seem to be too worried about using them. And, I don't know that we're really paying attention to that. I mean, we kind of bring it up. We kind of have it there. Um, on the other hand, I, you know, I think we've got some incredible technologies that actually can help the environment. We can, you know, grow more food, make people healthier and live longer. So I think we're there. I just think we're going through, and you and I talked about this before. I just think we're at a time of massive 
upheavals, you know, disruptions, you know, and, and a lot of it has to be demographics. The baby boomers are getting older, so they're controlling, but they're not really a part of the economy. And then I think technology has just changed so much of what's going on. And uh, I think that's what we're going through now. And we're, we haven't figured out how to, how to deal with it. And it's created a cascade of, of tons of other problems as well. So I, I, I think we got about another four or five years of, of kind of figuring this out. I just hope we don't kill each other by the time, you know, we do figure it out. Well, I, I just think with everything that has been going on again with Roe v. Wade overturned last week, um, the, the, uh, gun legislation that was passed last week and then the supreme court overruling what was going on in new york that has been a hundred and plus year old precedent with conceal and carry it's like we're just we're running in circles every time we do something something comes around and eliminates it or deletes it and just keep doing it where do you think the country is going and if you want to start with the january 6th hearings which uh, right now, as we speak, Katie Hutchinson is speaking, who is the former White House aide to Mark Meadows. What do you think is going to happen, especially with the people that think this is all staged that is going on right now because they're trying to make the president or the former president look bad? I, I think, you know, I think we're in for a lot of upheaval and I think there's going to be violence. Uh, do I think there's going to be a civil war? I don't know. I think there is going to be um uh, certainly a lot of violence. Uh, I think we've, we've got a lot of bad things that are still going to happen because like you say, they keep piling on. Um, and I just, I don't, you know, I'm not comfortable with uh, where it's all gone. I mean, I got a lot of people who are telling me, you know what, I'm leaving the country, especially after the Roe v. Wade. So right. I, I think we are, I do think Trump is beginning to lose some of the people who might have been on the fringe who I don't want to be with the Democrats, but they're like, OK, I don't I don't know if I want to be with Trump. Um, I think he's beginning to lose some. And I think there's other Republicans that are beginning to come in, even though they may look as bad as he does or seem to talk as badly as he does. Um, the Democrats are so split. Uh, I don't think they can get a, a unified way of, of kind of taking control. But I think that's going to happen a little bit easier just because I think all the stuff with Trump, as we listen to the one six hearings, you know, there's going to be 30 percent of the country who are going to back Trump no matter what. That's just right. The way it is. Um, there's probably about 15 or 20 percent in there that are kind of that can be kind of swayed. I'm actually hearing people who were pretty big Trump supporters saying, you know what, I don't want him running again. I don't want you know, they're not saying I hate Trump. I want him out of here, but they're saying, you know, I'm not going to support him. I don't think but, that, you know, it's right stuff like that. So I think you're slowly but surely beginning to see that because I think you're just, you know, the country is the country is in upheaval. Uh, you know, they talk about inflation. They talk about everything else. I'm sorry. You can't blame it all on Joe Biden. I mean, it, you know, Trump had a lot to do with this as well. Well, Exactly right. It, and again, we gave, gave Trump credit for the economy the first two years out of his, but that wasn't his. That was Obama's presidency that kept the economy going for him. And you're right. It's all, it all builds upon one another. Um, what I think is interesting, and, we, and I was talking to some people last week when the Roe v. Wade was overturned, and there are supporters of 
it being overturned that said, let the states handle it, let the states handle it. And I come back and I said, fine, we'll let the states handle it. The only problem is now they're outlawing a citizen of their state to go over state lines, because if they come back and they know about it, they can actually charge them for murder or a felony or whatever it may be, because it was a, they're breaking their laws, even though it was in another state. So mm -hmm. are you going to start seeing some of these southern states start losing um, people, which I can see it happening right now, or I should say the Republican states that are so strict and stringent on these rules that have been the law of the land for 50 years? Where do you see us going next? Do you see this being overturned? Do you see this being put in the Constitution? Do you see the states actually standing up for these people? We have businesses and corporations that announced Dick's Corporation Sporting Goods, which is based here in Pittsburgh, saying that they will provide money for their individual clients or uh, workers to go out of state if they need to get an abortion in the state that they live that they can't. What's that going to do? There's a lot of corporations that are doing it. I've, I've read an awful lot uh, that are stepping up and doing that. And they, they have to. They have, they have women employees. Um, at the same time, too, it's like, yeah, we're going to help you because, okay, we want you to get an abortion because, you know, maybe we want you working <laughs> or we don't want you to get, you know, we don't want you to die or, uh, right. or be seriously ill. Um, I, I, again, I think... You know, the, the Republicans were, were kind of like the, you know, the dog that caught the bus. You know, they got everything they wanted and it could it could really hurt them. It could hurt them, certainly in uh, in the midterm elections coming up. Um, you know, you're beginning to see, you know, the polling that is going against them. Um, I do think I just you know, there's. The disinformation that that I think a, a lot of the right wing extremists are putting out. I read something yesterday. It was from a New York Post columnist, and and she it was a woman, and she was a she was a younger woman, and she wrote that um, uh, Pelosi and Biden are for uh, abortion at any time. So at nine months they can they can abort. That's that's what Pelosi and Biden want, and it's like. How do you even allow that to be printed? And at the same time, too, you got, I still think you got a number of, you got, you know, 20, 30% of the people that are going to believe it. So I, I don't know where it's going. I do think over the next, you know, the next six to eight months are going to tell an awful lot. Um, Democrats just got handed something beautiful as far as being able to possibly, um, take back the Senate. Uh, you got Joe Manchin talking about, you know, hey, oh, yeah. I'll go with the filibuster. I'll go against the filibuster, you know, to get that. And so he's actually talking to them. So he's beginning to look, you know, kind of like the like the right wing wackos. And I, you know, I try to say to people, you know, what the Republicans are doing, that's not conservative. I mean, that's extremist. Oh, yes, exactly. And, and, and that's the other thing. You made a comment about not backing Trump. Do you think they're going to back what the conservative Republican Party has turned into, which is extremist? I don't think we ever thought that judges on a Supreme Court, especially Clarence Thomas, would basically throw his personal beliefs and saying it's wrong at all costs.
no one ever said they were pro-abortion. They said they were pro-choice to give the woman the right to make these decisions on her own, not mine, not yours, not the government's. But everybody has mixed this up and they use the word abortion as a negative word to fire people up. If they would go back and use the terminology pro-choice, I don't think this would have happened. I think the base would have been quieter. But again, we had a president previously who said that he was going to put in judges that were going to be anti-Roe v. Wade. And he got what he wanted. It didn't happen during his presidency. It happened two years later. Yeah, and I think uh, there's a couple of things. One, uh, if they start going even further to, okay, now they're going to stop all contraceptives. Yes. Which to me is just is just ridiculous. Two, um, they're going to go after... Um, uh, what was the other thing they're going? Oh, they're going after um, um, you know non-heterosexual marriages. Uh, right. They're going to start going after that. Um, to me, where where I think you're going to see some things really happening, and I keep going back. I always go back to the Ken Burns documentary on Vietnam, and we knew as a country, or the military as the military leaders of the United States knew they were in trouble in Vietnam because. Vietnamese people were willing to die for it. Right. And, and that's what led it on. It was, it was, it was a brilliant uh, piece of, of work that Ken Burns actually brought out in that. You're going to start seeing women dying because uh, mm-hmm. you've got women who have, you know, atopic pregnancies and you've got to abort that because you've got to go in there and surgery. You got to, you know, and once you start seeing women dying, I think you're going to start seeing a really bad backlash. One of the things that I always, I always bring up to people is there was a great book in the early, I think it was the early to mid 1990s. It was called Freakonomics. Did you ever hear? Oh, of yes. It? Yes. One of the great aspects of the book, and it was really the culmination of the book. They went and they took, they did a ton of research and they keep bringing this back right now. And what I always say to people is, is that, you know, the, the abortion ruling that they just came down is really one of the dumbest economic rulings ever because abortion was good for the economy. When Roe v. Wade happened in 1973, now you go up to the 1990s when we were booming as an economy. So that means that was 18 years of not having unwanted babies, Right. You actually had a lot of women, you know, especially after Roe v. Wade happened, a lot of women, there were a lot of abortions, especially in the 70s and the 80s. And all of a sudden, crime dropped dramatically in the 1990s. Granted, there were other economic factors that made the econ- that made it boom. But in this book, Freakonomics, one of the things they said was the reason for the boom of the 1990s was because Roe v. Wade was passed in 1973. And, you know, when you look at it, to be honest with you, abortions haven't been that high lately. The other thing is, is that most of the abortions now, I guess about 60%, they're done by pill. They're not going right. in and surgery. You can easily get something, uh, you know, you can get a pill. You can have something done like that. So what I think, what, what I think is so, you, you know, and you can argue the religious side and you can definitely argue the, the health side. To me, I would argue the economic side. This is a very dumb economic move because you do not want to have a lot of unwanted kids. Exactly right. If somebody right. can't get rid of the kid, then the kid is not going to be taken care of. 
You know, and somebody said, uh, you know, somebody said GOP means guns over people. Uh, but then somebody also said, you know, you, you care about the embryo, but, but you don't until care that about kid the gets into fourth grade, you, you, you could give a darn if he gets killed or not. So yeah, yeah. I, I think there's, and, and again, I understand on the religious side where you're coming from. What I don't understand is, okay, if, if you give somebody contraception and they stop it and they've had sex, how is that a crime? I just, right. it just makes no sense at all. And I'm not, I'm not the type of person. And I had always said was that, you know, if somebody, if, 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 if there's some woman who's, you know, getting an abortion once a year because she's just having unprotected sex and she's just doing it, doing it, I got a problem with that because we're paying for that. But right. at the same time too, you know, the way the law was set up, um, it made sense. It actually made a lot of sense for women. It made women healthier. It made them relax and it made them think about it. And most women who have abortions, it's not like they're just trying, I don't want to have a baby. I just want to get rid of it. No, right. it's, it's either health reasons or it's economic mm -hmm. reasons. And that's the thing that just, you know, for the so-called Republican party. And again, I don't think this is the real Republican party. That's the party of business. They really want to have a good economy. They really want to have good business structure. Doing this completely under undergirds that. What I I was watching when this went down last week, I was watching um, Rachel Maddow on MSNBC. Actually, I wasn't watching. I was listening it to my in my car, and she made a comment that after Roe v. Wade was signed into in a law, or supposedly a law, that you talk to the evangelicals and they were in favor of it because at that time in the seventies, life didn't begin at conception. It began at birth. Well, not until the 19 late seventies, when Jerry felt Farwell came into play and the religious right started to happen. Did we start seeing this shift? Not only that, we had a president of the United States who, when he was governor of California passed one of the most, the most comprehensive um, abortion laws there was in favor of it. And that was Ronald Reagan. Yeah. But when Reagan became president, he had to do a 180 and say he was against it totally. So you can start seeing the changes in the 1980s when we start having these people hitting at home that this is going to stop, this is going to stop. Now, did they think it was going to ever happen? You're probably right. They probably didn't. But now that the dog got the bus, what are they going to do? How are they going to fix this? Because this is going to affect elections all the way down the state a slate, especially in the, um, the strong Republican strongholds that these women are now voting going, Hey, it's my body, not yours. You have no right to dictate what I do. Well, do you think there'll be enough people going to the polls and changing that? Or do you still think that the, the man of the household it still has the, the, the woman under his thumb and going to dictate what they do. I think it depends upon the state. Um, uh, certainly, you know, obviously the Northeast and the far West, that, that ain't going to happen. Um, right. I think where you're going to see it is the Midwest, um, you know, the mid-Atlantic states, uh, certainly in the deep South. Um, I, th I think you're still going to see that there's, um, you know, Trump had a lot of white women who voted for him, a lot more than people realize. But there were a lot of older white women 
who yep. are past their childbearing age. They wanted to be yes. grandparents. Correct. <laughs> and um, I'm, you know, a lot of, you know, again, I live in North Carolina and um, the amount of people that are moving to the South now is, is, is pretty, is pretty big. It's also a lot of people that are moving from the North that are moving to the South. So um, it'll be interesting to see how the demographics of this all, all plays out. Um, but I, you know, my, my thing is, is that too many Americans are, um, you know, they're, 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 they're like a dog. It's like, huh? Oh, okay. Yeah. Now I'm going to that. Oh, okay. Now I'm yeah. looking at that. You know, unless the Democrats really put the charge on this, and unless you start seeing some really horrible stories about what's happening, uh, they've got to sustain this all the way through. I do think, and again, I'll go back to my theory. If people are dying, that's when they start paying attention. And if it's affecting their pocketbook, that's when they're paying attention. So I, th I think we're just gonna, we're just gonna have to see what's going on. You know, what's fascinating is the fact that, you know, up until, you know, really about two or three weeks ago, all we watched was Ukraine and Russia. What was going right. on there? We were so into it. I don't see any, you know, these cable ones covering too much of that anymore, even though it's some horrible, horrible things that are going on there. So, you know, to me, um, to me, and one of the things that I know I've, I've talked to you about this before, I've, I always talk about the sports and entertainment bias. And I think we are so ensconced in, we are the hero of our own story. And we don't look at the common good as much as we look at what does it mean to us? So to me, what's going to affect people over the next six months? So for instance, you know, there's a good chance. I mean, a lot of people are blaming Biden for you know, for the economy. And there are some yeah. things possibly he could have done. There are some things as far baby, I have people talking about, you know, they either have kids or grandkids trying to get baby for them. Biden should have done something. You should have done. I say, well, well, you know, how does he control private industry? I don't know. That well, that's and that's the other thing I don't understand. I know the FDA went in, they saw a problem. They didn't do anything about it till it was too late. They pulled the stuff up. I get it. I get it. But how do we interfere in a free enterprise system where you want government to stay out of business. How do you do that? I had a colleague of mine when the gas prices started to go up, who is a staunch Republican and made a comment to me and said, you know what? The president needs to do something about these gas prices. I said, what can he do? Well, he can put a cap on him. I said, wait a minute, you are in favor of free enterprise and business. She goes, yeah. I said, the oil industry in the United States is not government run. The president has no right to even do that unless there is something agreed to upon with the gas companies, which I guess they've been trying to work something out the last few weeks. And she couldn't understand it because when she wanted it done, it was OK. Yeah. But when anybody else wants it done, it's wrong and you can't do that. Yeah. And that's true. And then at the same time, too, uh, we're relying, obviously Russia, Saudi Arabia, um, you know, they're not pumping. I mean, we're trying to get Saudi Arabia to pump pump more oil to start raising the price. So you start, you know, bring this, this, the supply and demand uh, so that the price comes down. The other problem is, is it's summertime. And there are so many people who are like, I am so fed up with this damn COVID. I'm going out. And they're right. just, they're traveling. And so you're going to see, you know, supply and demand with people traveling is just going to, is going to raise prices. So I, I do the same argument with people. I go, what can he do? 
And then somebody, it was actually my wife said, she goes, why doesn't Biden just turn to the Republicans and say, okay, if, um, well, give me some suggestions. You don't hear anything from the Republican side. But I see, in my opinion, when he put, when they put the anti-gouging bill together, that to me is what I thought they were doing here. We will put this there. So we will investigate when there's price gouging going on. Did the Republic votes in favor? No, they voted against it. So they don't, to me, they don't care that or the oil industry or whoever's making the profits are lining their pockets. So it keeps them in. And yet we keep billing out our oil industry and the, the, the uh, natural gas and everything else. But yet when we need help as a citizen, no one's there to help us. No, I, I, I agree. I agree hundred percent, even though I'm, you know, I'm for free enterprise, but oh, me too. you know, the way things are, um, you know, there's just, and I think like what I was saying at the beginning, there are just so many things lining up economically, technologically, and certainly demographically uh, in, in the United States that are in such horrible upheaval. Um, and I, I think I, t- I told you about this book that I, I read three, three years ago, and I still go back to it. It's written by a guy by the name of George Friedman. It's called The Storm Before the Calm. And yes. I read this before even COVID hit. And I keep going back to it and I go, you know what, without even knowing COVID was hitting and he didn't know it, um, he's hitting it right here. So I, in all the stuff that I follow and read, including him and other ones, um, I, you know, I, I, I'm a pretty big follower of The Economist because they're right down the middle. They give you the economic stuff and it's, it's based on, on real fact and research. Um, this, and again, I keep going back to what I said in the beginning this thing is not going to be over for a while. We've got a lot of angst. We've got a lot of tough times coming up. And, you know, Bill, think about it. I mean, when, you know, when the George Floyd thing happened, you Mm -hmm. know, we had the other things going on surrounding it. We had then the riots, stuff like this. Think about what's just happened this past week when we had, you know, we've had Ukraine and Russia. Then we have the Roe v. Wade being knocked down. We have the, the gun laws, the New York gun law being knocked down that could really turn, you know, vigilante, everybody a vigilante. Um, and it's there, things are just popping and popping on top of us. And we don't really have the system. Um, and what I always tell people is, is that when America thrived, and you can go back to the 90s, you can go back even further, people understood that there was the common good and individual needs. So freedom against the common good. And when that was a good battle, where it was an even battle, America thrived. They really right. did well. And right now, it's not. The individual is just, is just taking over everything. And to be honest with you, you know, I think social media has, has a lot to do with it because everybody is now the hero of their story. Entertainment brings it to us too. If you're going to create a great screenplay, a great movie, a great TV show, you got to have story structure. You got to have the hero. The hero is the main person that you're with and he's got an opponent and everybody identifies with that. And everybody takes it into their own lives that they're the hero of their story. What they want is what should happen. Nobody thinks about the common good anymore. And you see it, you know, you see it with, you know, following sports. And it's, 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 it's a problem that we're not seeing people. I mean, there are people who are really trying to be good people and trying to reach out and help, but the majority of people are not. And one of the things too is, is that, you know, we've kind of lost that, that social contract. 
Uh, and um, if, if you think about it, uh, George Packer wrote a book back, it was called The Unwinding back in 2013. And it was kind of the aftermath of the financial crisis. And I think this is bled into today. And one of the things he said was that there was an unwritten contract for Americans that if you, you worked hard, um, you stayed out of trouble, you were nice to your neighbor, you were guaranteed a roof over your head, beer in your fridge, and you could watch TV. And that contract's gone today. So even if you're just, if some people have to work three jobs just to get by. So we've got that income inequality that's adding to it. So people can't care about the common good. They've got to care about themselves. So you're beginning to see more people, more and more, thanks to social media, they can just blare out what they want to say, what they want to do and right. how they're right and all that. We're never, we're not getting consensus. Nobody is coming together and saying, hey, you're having problems. I'm having problems. Let's, let's, let's sit and talk about this. It's just not happening. And I think we've got to go through a lot of angst, hopefully not a lot of violence and hopefully not a lot of deaths, but I think that's, what's going to work out. We're eventually going to have a, you know, a, a, you know, sorry to say, I come to Jesus moment for all of us. And I don't know when. What looking at the state that I'm in right now, which is Pennsylvania. And if you look at the map on if it's going to outlaw, outlaw Roe v. Wade, it's iffy because we have a state house that's Republican and a state Senate that's Republican and Democratic governor and lieutenant governor, which I think we're going to see a shift, especially what they did on Monday. And this is something I would have never thought of that tied into Roe v. Wade. The University of Pittsburgh, which is a major medical research institution in the United States. Yep. them and a handful of other schools receive funding for research. The state of Pennsylvania has decided that it will stop $580 million worth of research grant money to Pitt, Temple, Penn State, and Lincoln if they use aborted fetuses to research on. Wow. And it's like, wait a minute, we've had such medical breakthroughs just in the last 20 years here that you're now telling me that because this is being done, you are going to make it a condition that if these schools are basically going to stop all their medical research in some areas because you have a problem with what they're doing it on. So you'd rather have it on ra animals, rabbits, whatever. I mean, this doesn't make any sense to me. And I think what's going to happen is that this may start being the turn, like you said, if enough people start realizing how this is going to limit the quality of their life, there finally may be a change and may be a shift in the values in this country, because right now the minority is controlling the majority. I guess there was a study that was done that 63% of the American population was actually pro, and I hate using the word pro-abortion, but they mm -hmm. were. And that's more than enough to overturn it. But it is, you're not going to see it in the House and the Senate because they're afraid they won't be reelected. And that's the other thing we have to deal with. Well, and again, you, you're talking federalism, too. And one of the things that all you got to do is look at is so the state of California has two senators. The state of South Dakota has two senators and the state of South Dakota doesn't even have one percent of the population. Right. 
that California has. So you could add North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, Idaho, um, and a couple of other states there. They don't even come close to it. And those are 10, 10 senators against two there. So there has to be, and I keep telling everybody is that, you know, Thomas Jefferson said that every 19 years, we need a new constitutional convention. And we need to do that because of the times. I mean, Jefferson said that. We never had that. It makes no sense. You know, should they have equal, you know, and I'm from Connecticut. That was called the Connecticut Compromise that created the Senate and, and, right. and the House so that they had, you know, everybody represented based on population and then each state was rec rep represented equally. It's gotten so out of whack now that it doesn't, again, it hurts everybody. It, and, and so we're not getting common sense laws. On top of it, we, we have Citizens United, which says, you're a billionaire, you can contribute as much as you want because it's your free speech. It's free speech. Right. How is, how is that because you have a billion dollars? You get more free speech than other people that don't have a billion dollars. And I think we're finding that, you know, most of the members of Congress, and I'm going to say this, both Republicans and Democrats, um, they're there to make money. And yes, some of them there to pass laws and they're trying to help people. I'm not, I'm not saying all of them, but all of them walk out of Congress after being there a lot wealthier than when oh, they yes. walked in. And, um, you know, most of the studies show uh, a congressional lawmaker spends one third of his time on the phone raising money. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's the most ridiculous thing, uh, you know, that that's there. So we're not getting people who are really caring about uh, and taking care of of the country, taking care of individuals They're Again, it's all about the individual. They're taking care of themselves. They're raising money. And they're raising money that eventually when they get out, that money's going to come back to them because they're taking care of the, the donors or the donors are going to take care of them again. So well, it's, 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 it's not going away until we change things and we actually start putting the people first. Well, I want you to do me a favor over the next few months, and I want you to, to follow Pennsylvania's state election for senator for we have John Fetterman, who is a Democrat that doesn't look like a politician at all. Nope. And we have Dr. Oz running against him. The man is from New Jersey who declared his allegiance, his allegiance to Turkey and fought in the Turkish army and now is becoming a wants to be the senator of Pennsylvania. And all of a sudden he's pro Trump, this pro Trump, that. And it was like really funny when you look at his TV program and look at what he talks about, he couldn't stand Trump, but he got Trump's backing and he won not by a lot, but he won. And I also want to know how much, pay, how much money these candidates pay Trump for the endorsement, because I don't think Trump is doing it out of the goodness of his heart. I think Trump is getting money in return to do that, which it's his right. I mean, his name means something, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I want you to follow that election because it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in Pennsylvania when you have a guy that was grew up in Scranton, moved to one of the worst places in western Pennsylvania called Braddock, which is a shutdown steel mill, mm -hmm. um, not from oh, not well, far from I mean, McKeesport. I had family. And, I got family yeah. that's from there. Yeah. 
And with that being said, he turned that, that small city or community around, ran for lieutenant governor, won, told everybody in Pennsylvania, I am not living in the lieutenant governor's mansion. I am living in Braddock, and I will pay for my own room when I go to Harrisburg to work. That was unheard of. But the mm-hmm. money he saved, he's not doing it, at least not right now for the money. I don't see him doing it for the money. He's doing it for the right reasons. But I don't know if that's going to be enough in the middle of the state to get him elected, because, you know, between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, we have Kentucky. Yep. And there's a reason why they called Pennsylvania. <laughs> and it is because of the this large farm area there that Absolutely. is controlling a lot of the stuff that's going on in Harrisburg that these people will never deal with. But us on the western part and the eastern part of the state, we deal with every day. And they don't understand how government works. That's the best part. Yeah, I, I thought it was Alabama was in the in, in the middle. Of <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I, but Pennsylvania. I hadn't heard that. Yeah, Pennsylvania sounds better. I like that. That's really good. Yeah, yeah, I think that's one of the more intriguing races. Um, certainly, you know, Trump. You know, Trump getting Oz in there, and again, it wasn't a it wasn't a landslide win on the Republican side. Um, and I think. You know, Trump's had a he, with Oz and I'm trying to think who else he, he got um, he got in. But then he had some big losses. Oh, so yeah. that's that's why I think, you know, especially in, in Georgia. So that, that's why I think he's, uh, you know, he's well, not as substantial. My other concern is um, is the health of um, Fetterman. Of, yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I just, I hope he's better because man, when you, when you heard he, you know, he went down and, you know, he had to go in and get the, uh, what the heart cath in there. It was like, the, yeah. Oh, gosh. So. Well, as he said, it was his own fault because he wasn't listening to what his doctor told him to do. Like most of us do. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he's now taking better care of himself. And I guess his wife is becoming a tyrant, um, getting him to do what he needs to do. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but she is an immigrant um, into this country, which was interesting. When he was lieutenant governor, she was in Harrisburg at a grocery store and someone stood in the parking lot and yelled at her to go back where she came from. And she goes, I'm from Braddock. If you want me to, I'll go back. No problem. No, no, go back to your country. They didn't realize they were yelling at the lieutenant governor's wife. And once it came out and she did share it, she didn't share the person's face. It was interesting to see how all of a sudden there was this change dealing with people that look and act different in certain parts of the state. Now, it's still happening, but for the most part, it did get a little bit better for a while. But no, I, I understand where you're coming, coming from with Fetterman, because hopefully he's able to withstand the pressure of the race. One thing I thought was interesting, I don't know if you heard this or not about Dr. Oz, that when da- Oz and McCormick who was the other Senate candidate were running mm-hmm. neck and neck. Trump contacted Oz and told him just declare victory. That way, if you declare victory, it, they're going to have a harder time overturning. <laughs> I'm going, boy, does that sound familiar? wonder where he got that idea from. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, so speaking I think- of that, we need to look, start looking at the January 6th hearings that you and I talked um, about a week after the 6th happened in uh 2021 has it been over a year since we talked wow no it hasn't we've talked since then but you and i talked right after that happened and 
just with what's going on that's being televised, and I will say this, it's well orchestrated. Even today's hearing that came out of the blue within 24 hours of them announcing it seems to have what they want to do. They're making their point. Now, I do not know if this young lady is the best person to speak, even though she was Meadows' assistant, because she comes off to me a tad bit wishy-washy. But again, it's it, they're they're creating a new narrative, and it'll be interesting to see who believes it. Yeah, I mean, she already came out with, uh, and again, it was it was a story from uh, Meadows and, and his top assistant that said that when they were leaving the ellipse on January 6th in the presidential motorcade and the secret services know you're, you're going back to the white house and Trump went ballistic where he actually attacked the driver. He actually right. put his hands like around his throat and they had to restrain him. And so that came out and that was one of the new ones. And I know you, you and I are talking here because I know there's more stuff going on here uh, that I'll go back and cover afterwards. But um I think what the what the one six has done, I think they looked at the Mueller uh, report and they said, you know what, we're not doing it that way because we're not right. getting the people's attention. And so they're doing it a little bit more kind of like the Watergate hearings. Yes. It's, it's funny because as we're getting, you know, we're in summer now. Um, and I can remember the summer of 73. I was painting houses during the summer. I was in high school. What I would do is I'd paint the houses in the morning. I'd go home and I'd watch. And um I was from Connecticut. So Lowell Weicker was a Republican senator from Connecticut who was on that. So I remember watching that. And I, it's funny because, you know, 10 years later, I got a chance to interview him a couple of times. Um, but to me, that was riveting back then. And I don't think, I don't, you know, Nixon, Nixon's a crook, you know, no matter what, he didn't do anything near. <laughs> no, not at all. Trump is done. And so I'm thinking what the one six committee did is they said, you know, the Mueller report. I mean, I read the Mueller report. And to me, after reading the Mueller report, I was thinking like. People need to be indicted, including the president. Right. And and it was completely whitewashed. I well, think what they're doing with this with this one six is it, and they're doing it TV style. The fact they're bringing interviews in the fact they're bringing all this great video uh i think they're doing it brilliant and i do think they're teaching people i do think there's going to be a majority of americans that are going to either want him impeached or they're going to say there's got to be some uh, you've got to get this to the doj and i do think it's, oh, it's moving in that direction no so i want I criminal charges i don't want i don't want i don't want a slap on the wrist i want criminal charges um <laughs> And I'm one of the, I'm one of the many that do interesting <laughs> about the Mueller report. If you look at the Mueller report, there is a good possibility that Ukraine may not have been in the problem they're dealing with today. If it wasn't for Mr. Trump, who, again, why no one has tied that together yet is beyond me, or at least not done it in the media where you can see where the dominoes fall that he had something to do with this. There's, there's a good tie-in. Um, I think um, the fact that, uh, and I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to go back on the, uh, the different bills that were passed and whether we cut anything from them. Um, but 
yeah, I, I, I think there certainly is something there that can, that can be brought up. Um, but, you know, I always say, you know, it, just think if Trump had won, what would have happened to Ukraine? <laughs> oh, I know. It, they, he would have handed it to him on a silver platter. Um, it would have been over and done with. It, it just, it's just amazing to me that we can see all this stuff happening and you can see what's happening is wrong, but there's still people that are making up their own facts just by looking at it. And even though you can, can, you can say, you know, this is wrong. They say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and they'll turn around and rephrase it. So it makes them and whoever they supported look good. It just doesn't make any sense to me that how we have gotten so far away of what civics were when we were in school and these people that are having a problem with civics were in school when we were, but yet forgot everything they learned. They forgot how the government works. They forgot how society is supposed to work. They forgot what we're supposed to do. I mean, this whole idea of socialism, I'm going, okay, but you do understand we have social security. We have public schools. We have, we have fire departments. We have police stations. We have, uh, water we have all this stuff medicare if we didn't have yeah uh road service whatever if we didn't have those things then it would be up to you to create them and pay for them and guess what you're not going to do that so they don't understand how this works and i don't know how we teach them because the more social media goes in the dumber they get and i'm not just saying that about the older generation i'm saying about that the new one coming up too a lot of it has to do with the fact that we don't have we don't have the news media anymore. I mean, we do have, you know, some national publications. Um, you know, some of the television to me is just all entertainment. It's not oh, really. It's always. Does it give you news? Yeah, it does. Uh, local TV news, which used to be decent. I always say that the, you don't have reporters; you have recorders. You have people going out getting sound bites and they just put them together. They don't do news on it. So with that and social media, um, you know, we've got, you know, there's certain times I hear members of Congress, they don't even know what the three branches of government are. But oh, yeah. Or Congress, how they work. Yeah. And they're passing laws. And to me, it's 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 beyond it's beyond belief how stupid is of, of a nation we really are. And and to me, I mean, I've interviewed you know, a number of members of Congress. And I remember I walked away kind of, I would shake my head. One of them, Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee. <laughs> okay. One of the dumbest people I've ever interviewed. And cause I was interviewing her at a convention with a company. I mean, I couldn't, and I just remember walking away and I remember saying like, how is this person even in Congress? How is yeah. this person even elected? Um, you got people like Louis Gomer and you just kind of going like, it just makes no sense. Uh, part of the problem is, is that people just have not, they don't, you know, civics, but they, they just don't understand what's going on and they're not getting facts. They're not getting real facts. And unfortunately, you know, we're just, well, we're going to have to deal with them. I don't, I don't know how to change that. A friend of mine's daughter graduated this past May from high school. And I was reading where she was going to school. Um, it was a, a small handout they gave at graduation. She's going to school, and I forget, I think it was Temple, for journalism. Mm-hmm. And I looked at my wife going, it's a dying field. Why would you do that? 
Yeah. And they, someone said, and then someone on her said, because she feels that she can make a change. I said, an individual from Podunk, Pennsylvania is not going to make a difference. You have to have the major corporations or even the small corporations wanting to make a difference. And right now they're happy with a dumb population. You're not going to see a change. Mm-hmm. Keep, yep. keep them, keep them in a, in a, in a way of just following the masses. We're like lemmings getting ready to jump off a cliff. And that's exactly what it seems to me that we have these kids going into journalism. A few of them, a few reporters that are in Pittsburgh right now that I've recently talked to, you're right. They're not reporters. They're readers. The ones that are working in newspapers aren't reporting. They are just retyping press releases that have come out mm-hmm. from local politicians or local organizations. They're not investigating anything. So mm-hmm. why don't we just put a community newsletter together and be done with it and call that the newspaper? Because that's what it is right now. Yeah. No. And that, and that's exactly what, you know, what I've been saying. She, she would do better going and, and working with you on your show. And then creating her own show, uh, because that's how people are being reached today. I mean, you know, the millions and millions of, of um, people who are listening to people like you and me, they're doing it through podcasts. And but the bad thing about that is, John, is that you and me are a rare breed because we come up through the system working in the field, working in media when media was media. The ones that have successful podcasts are actors that are trying to become political activists. Mm-hmm. We have people that um, have created their own TikTok channel because they're doing stupid stuff. And none of these people have any training to do what they're doing. And that's the frustrating part to me. I have a four-year degree. I have a four-year master's and all this other stuff, but yet I can't be put on to a network or anything because i'm too old to fit in the demographic of what they want as a talk show host and i'm going fine i'll keep doing it my way that's perfectly fine with me but that's what it's turning into because the younger ones coming in they have no clue what they're doing my first uh, second talk radio job it was right down the road from here worked with a great guy everything else i was 29 years old when i got the job He told me, never tell anybody your age. Mm -hmm. I said, why? He said, because you're too young to know better. You should not be doing talk talk radio until you turn about 35. When you're 35, the audience will take you seriously and they will listen to you. I couldn't give my real age for six years on the air. Wow. And it was interesting because it was like every year was my 35th birthday because people would know when it was. (laughs) It was like... Okay, but that was it. He said, because people at a certain age don't know anything. That's why I don't think we should have people that are in politics under the age of 35. On local school boards, in local government, whatever it may be, they haven't lived enough. They have no clue what's going on. They've never been in a financial problem. They've never been in debt. They've never had kids. They've never done this. But we'll put them in there because we're going to groom them so they can become the political leaders of tomorrow. And that's what or we did they, during the eighties or they know how to get, they know how to get votes. And, right. And, and they look good. 
and they know how to raise money. So that's yeah. that's the big thing. I still think that there are there are so many people like you and me who who can't get the jobs in newspapers and television anymore. They should be doing podcasts, but they should be doing news podcasts. Oh, I and agree. That, that's what I'm trying to push for a lot of people is that you need to, you know, if you're like, for instance, uh, you know, and I, I talk to different agents about different because they'll call you, are you interested in, you know, news anchor? I said, no, no, not at all. I said, it wouldn't pay anywhere near what it was. And they tell me about these kids who come out of college who, you know, get, they make $20,000. And for them, it's like, wow, making $20,000. $20, but what they're doing is, is they're, they're reporting, they're setting up stories. So they're producing, they're shooting, uh, they're editing, and then they got to turn around and they've got to write a newspaper story for, for the website. And right. then they got to do it three or four times. When I was an investigative reporter and a reporter, I mean, I had a photographer, you know, I had a photographer who was my editor. So I could concentrate on, I could spend an hour calling, trying to make, okay, can you, can you verify that? Can you get this? I, I actually did news. I, I was to the point where my stories were so good. I got arrested. So, but the, <laughs> they wouldn't even be able to today. Cause all they're doing is they're just, they're getting stuff. And I had a, a good friend of mine. He's an author. He lives in Las Vegas, wrote a, wrote a book and the TV station said to him, Hey, uh, can we come over and interview? He goes, sure. No problem. So the, the, the reporter comes over, it's a kid, it's a young kid. And it's just the kid. He sets up the camera he puts the microphone on him and he sits there and he goes, okay, what, what should I ask? You? What I ask you? <laughs> yeah. And so, and so my, my friend Jack said, he called me up. He goes, John, you're not going to believe this. He says, I can't believe this. He says, you were in the business. And I go, well, I said, it's different now. I said, these are not. And it's like what I said before, they're not reporters, they're recorders. And I said, you can't blame them because the revenues for going into TV news are so diminished People either are not watching it or the advertising is going to social media because social media can pinpoint and give you better data than it can on TV. So I said, I said, these, these kids are, are doing the work of not only four people, but then they've got to do four or five times more and produce what, you know, what I used to produce. So it's, it's, it's not, so we're not going to get it that way. I'm just hoping people are going to learn how to, become informed how to do it on their own they've got to do it so it's what, I, you know that's that's why what, I, I i say to go back to the beginning of our conversation I, you know i don't i don't see a lot of good over the next four or five yeah. years happening what fresh what frustrates me about it is uh again if i would do it myself which is fine the problem is it gets so depressing that if i'm doing this to do it, why do I want to make myself depressed? Why don't I do what I do and have fun with it? And and so on and so forth. So I, I get where you're coming from that more people need to do it. But the problem is when people start doing it, they think there's an underlying revenue they're going to get from it. So then they're going to start skewing their stories in different directions. So if somebody does pay them for it, that's going to start dictating what they interview, what they cover and everything else. On another note, um, and I had this happen, I've had this happen over the years, that I've had people that I've, I've talked with saying, can you send me the questions up front that you're going to ask me? Mm -hmm. And my response is no, I am not going to do that. If I do that, we're not going to have a conversation. It's going to be a very stilted interview, and it's going to be over in 10 minutes. 
I listen to everything you say, you listen to everything I say, and then we converse about it because I have no, any of my interviews, I have no idea where they're going. I have an idea what we're going to talk about. Hopefully we get there at the end. Most of the time we don't, but sometimes we do. And that's the lucky part, but that's the whole thing. People don't know how to talk to each other anymore. And they expect to know the answers before the conversation starts. Well, and, and, if I'm dealing with somebody who, if it's a company, like if I'm working for somebody, then yeah, I, I'll do that because I'm trying to help them get their message out. And I always try to tell people how to, you know, how do you control an interview? And, you know, one of the ways obviously is to get the answers, but the other way is to be well prepared ahead of time. So it's uh, as far as a news interview, absolutely. You would never send anybody that. And I don't know, I guess they probably still do it. They probably do it. Oh, now. they do. They do. Wow. I inter- who'd I interview? Oh, Jacqueline Smith behind me. Mm-hmm. They wanted me to send the questions, the interviewer. And I kept putting it off, putting it off till the day of the interview. Mm-hmm. And I started interviewing her about her early career. We got done with the interview and she said, you are the most in-depth interview that I've ever done. I said, what do you mean? She goes, you knew what you were talking about. There were things you were talking about that I forgot about. And I, my thought is, That's why I do it the way I do it, because when I do the research, I give it back to you and then you can give me your recollection of what you've done. And I've done that with everybody I've talked to. And that's the even that again, for me, it works for other people. It may not. But most of the people that I interview, 90 percent of them, I've seen their work in some way, shape or form. So I have an idea who they are and what they do. See, I always say I can send you questions, but I said, yeah, I can't send you what my follow-up questions are going to be because I don't know. What <laughs> well, gonna... I can send you questions, but I can't guarantee I'm going to ask them. That's yeah. the other one I do. Yeah. So anyway, well, John, it's been interesting. We've gone in every direction, probably not direction we wanted to go into, but we did. <laughs> um, and I, <laughs> I appreciate it. We always do. We go and we cover so many things in just a short period of time. It's amazing to me how we can ever get a thought completed. Um, <laughs> but I will have you back on the January 6th hearings are not over yet. Nope. They're still going. I think there's at least two more from what I understand. Uh, they're taking, I think after today, they're taking uh, a week or two off. And then I think they've got at least two more. Yeah. The one I'm waiting for is I'm waiting for the, uh, video from the, uh, documentarian from the UK that was doing the documentary on the Trump family, the fall of 2020. And they didn't realize what he was recording, which from what I understand was everything. And he has ownership of everything the trump organization has ownership of nothing and he has been subpoenaed he is willing to share them and that will probably be very eye-opening in the next few weeks yeah i think it's uh from from what i read there might be some contradictions from the family on things oh uh, really i would have never guessed that hard to believe (laughs) (laughs) well what i think is really interesting is we saw the interview with ivanka we saw the interview with jared but there was no reference to Eric and Don Jr. Yeah. In some of the here. I mean, there was slight reference, but nothing really major, which I was surprised about that. Um, yeah, because I think Don Jr. was kind of anxious to testify in some yeah. respects. Um, it'll be curious to see, yeah, what goes on with that. And there's still a lot of, you know, still a lot of uh, murky stuff, but they're revealing a lot. And it certainly is is not helping Trump and his family, that's for sure. 
So the last question I have for you today is if you lived in New York and Rudy Giuliani was running for governor in your state, would you vote for him? Probably not. I, I cannot I cannot believe he thinks he's going to win the governorship of New York. <laughs> I'd love to know how much money has been invested in his campaign. Uh, I don't know, but isn't it? I thought it was the son that was running. No, it's him. It's actually him. Yeah, that's what I was surprised about, too. Because yeah. and again, if, if, if it was his son, it's Rudy Jr. Or even the Giuliani name. I wouldn't want to be associated with that right now. Well, not now, no. But, you know, back around, you know, 2001. When he was was America's mayor, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I have it. Let me see here. I guess because I haven't paid. Oh, no, you're right. Andy's his son, Andrew's running for bid, is running for it. And he got Trump's endorsement. So, So yeah. I just don't don't think, I think Rudy's like 78 now and... You know, just some of the things that have come out about him that I, I think he's, I don't know if he's a drunk or he's just, uh, he's a bit uh, mentally unstable. So, At the hearing when they said he came in the room intoxicated, I, I, I could not believe that there were former aides and attorneys saying that about Rudy yeah. Giuliani. Yeah, yeah. It, it's amazing how far he has fallen. So, yeah, America's mayor is now America's joke, I guess, is the way to put it. So anyway, (laughs) John, thank you very much. Um, I won't uh, I won't uh, spread it out so far the next time you're on the program. I'll probably bring on the next few weeks whenever you're available and we can talk about what else is going on, because I'm sure we're going to see some uh, other changes happening over the next few weeks. I didn't even get the chance to mention about the whole prayer in the middle of a football field on a public school, which really concerns me but that's for another reason so uh we'll we'll, we'll watch the news and uh, we'll talk about it in a few weeks bill it's great getting back together with you sorry it's been so long but uh yeah let's uh let's continue this conversation thank you very much you have a great day john you too as well thanks Hey, a big thank you goes out to John Daly for joining me today. It's always great to talk to him about what's going on in the news. And again, I'm glad you were able to join me too. So thank you very much for watching this edition of the Bill Alexander Show. And we'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to the Bill Alexander Show. The Bill Alexander Show is a million dollar baby production. For more information, go to the Bill Alexander Show. Offer deadline on Oak Street, aisle three. Welcome to the housing market. I'm with Redfin and I'm here to help. I need to sell my house. Great. Redfin charges a 1% listing fee when you buy and sell with us, which is more than half off the usual fee and saves you an average of $8,400. Oh, wow. Is that all? Uh, yep. I'm kidding. You had me at 1%. Want to win? Sell with Redfin. It's real estate done right. Bidding war at the offer's counter in five minutes. Average savings is Redfin refund plus 1% listing fee. Subject to minimums. Not available in all areas. Learn more at redfin.com. Ya está aquí la próxima generación de tecnología Wi-Fi y es solo de Xfinity. Da superpoder a tu hogar con Wi-Fi supersónico. Conecta cientos de equipos al mismo tiempo y experimenta tres veces el ancho de banda para conexiones más confiables. Con Advanced Security que bloquea miles de millones de amenazas dentro y ahora también fuera de casa. Es Wi-Fi de próxima generación que cambia las reglas del juego. Solo de Xfinity. Para más información, visita es.xfinity.com diagonal supersonic. Se aplican restricciones. Las velocidades reales varían y no están garantizadas. Show.com. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. 
that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.